Welcome to Behind the Chalk. I am your host, Lindsay Simpson, and I am so excited to share with you conversations with educators from every level discussing our passions, insights, research, and experiences across this amazing profession. So thank you so much for joining me today, and I'm so excited to introduce my guest today talking all about creating music in a virtual world in higher education. Of course, I would love to hear from you and hear your thoughts and experiences on this topic. So please head on over to Twitter and share with us as you listen at ChalkEDU. I would love to have you. My guest today is Jacob Carl, Assistant Professor of Musical Theater at SUNY Cortland. First and foremost, I would like to welcome you onto the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am doing awesome. I want all my listeners to know I'm so excited to have Jake here. He and I go way back um, when it comes to theater. Uh, Before we started recording, you know, I think it's been probably a decade since we've seen each other, but I have very fond memories of Godspell rehearsal. And like star. (laughs) Star, yes, star. (laughs) And even, uh, speaking of star, an infamous slap that we won't go into. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as now, um, now that I am a director of high school theater, I don't even think we got into that. Um, I direct our musicals at my district. Um, I bring that slap up every single oh. year oh to teach God. a lesson. <laughs> so it is infamous. <laughs> that it <lesson>. is. <laughs> It is infamous. I said, you might think it's a good idea. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) It hurt so much, too. But I deserved it that day. That was a bad day. (laughs) No, I don't think anybody deserved it. But especially uh, my favorite part about that whole thing, um, you know, and for my listeners, you know, in theater, you do a fake slap and you do that for a reason. (laughs) You know, you only do real slaps in like movies if you're a serious actor, right? And you're like in it. Um, yeah, and even then, it's choreographed. <laughs> <laughs> um, my awesome friends to- like talked me in that it'd be such a good idea to like ditch the fake idea and you know bring in the realness. And then they all stood there shocked when they did it. What also was so loud that slap was so loud, <laughs> and so and we were like in the cafeteria or whatever, and so it like it reverbed off of the walls. <laughs> lifelong lesson theater lesson for me that day so it may have been yeah, our so, best acting at that point too because like i was shocked <laughs> and you were shocked and it was honest <laughs> it sure was so i think um you know we so yes listeners we we go way back and you'll probably hear a lot of giggles throughout this episode and i'm super excited for it <laughs> but to start off, um, I always like to ask the same question uh, the elementary school teacher in me is always interested on how we get started in education. So could you share what you were like as a student? Oh, yeah, gosh. Uh, As a student, um, I love school now. But when I was in school, I didn't really like it. And I... Uh, I was definitely like a, a solid B student, like maybe a B minus student even, because I was one of those kids that like liked the classes that I liked and then like didn't put any energy into the ones that I thought like were useless, like math and science, which are like definitely not <laughs> useless classes. Uh, <laughs> I was also a very, very chatty student 
and um my like you know how you get like progress reports mine would like they'd always have like things you could like pre-generated comments that you could put into that report and mine always said too much talking interferes with learning and like it was like an orchestra it was in like u.s history global like always 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 so like as a student i was like i was okay i was much better in college because you're taking classes you actually want to take and like in grad school, I was a, I was, I think I was a good student. Also, I was older, but like <laughs> as like a thirteen year old or like even younger, uh, I was not a great, great student at all. No, not at all. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. Uh, so when when you think about what got you to school every day, uh, since you were not, you know, a, a, a typical. Um, overachieving, sit in the front row type of guy, what got you to school? Yeah, it was definitely uh, my friends. And then I had like, because I lent myself toward music, band, orchestra, chorus, like I literally just would go because I wanted to have chorus that day. And like, even when I was a senior and I would like (laughs) call in sick to school, but then I would go to school, I would forget to sign in. I'm putting air quotes around that. go to chorus and then go back home so it's as if i was never there in the first place but i still got to do chorus that day so it was it was always because i wanted to (laughs) do music class and even when i was like really little when i was in elementary school i would go if like i would skip the days that we had like art class but if we had music class that day i made sure i was in school because i wanted to go to music always for sure well and and so there's no surprise that you ended up no um, not at all (laughs) (laughs) not at all musical theater yeah like this is a very short book like if people like read the first page they're like we know how this is gonna end (laughs) very predictable that's all that's good sometimes (laughs) that's good so what brought you into the world of education uh yeah it's been a crazy journey because i i spent a lot of time especially in college convincing myself that i didn't want to be a teacher because I don't know. I think that I knew I was going to do it and I want like my parents knew it and like all my past teachers knew I was going to become a teacher and I like wanted to prove them wrong. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) So like I went to college for music ed, but then I realized I was a better performer than I thought. So I added performance as a double major. And then like throughout four years, I ended up dropping education, re-adding education, dropping it again And, like, I graduated my undergrad with two classes left to my ed degree saying I didn't want it. Because I didn't want to do student teaching, which is, like, in retrospect, one of the dumbest things I've ever done. But (laughs) I needed needed that, I think. So, like, even in grad school, I did a dual master's program. And the one that had – it was a performance and a pedagogy program. And I wanted to do the pedagogy program because I thought I wanted to be, like, a musical theater vocal coach. And then, like, but we were teaching voice lessons, and I was actually really bad at teaching voice lessons because I didn't, the the science of it, like, didn't really lend itself to me. And so, like, fast forward many years, and SUNY Cortland was looking for a music director for a show, like a freelance position. I submitted my information to them. They said, yeah, come along. I got along with the college students so well that they were like, well, we're hiring a professor. Why don't you apply? And I was like, that'd be funny. I'll, I'll apply. And then fast forward five more years and I'm still here teaching at this program. So like, it was the most up, like, I don't know why. Like I knew I was going to be a teacher this whole time. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. But like, I needed to like, <laughs> I guess, 
convince myself that I didn't want to be a teacher to realize how much I loved teaching, I think. That, I, I don't know about anybody else, but I know that makes complete sense to me. <laughs> uh, considering that school was always the last place I wanted to go. Um, right. And now right. I live it and I can't stop living it. So. Right. Like we were just talking about how we, we want to go back to school and get more degrees. Like right. I love school right. now. I feel like I'm so, a much better student now. And also like teaching has made me realize how I could have been a better student had I had better teachers. And so like that also, and I think that you probably understand that completely because like, I I don't, do. it's never the kid's fault if they're a bad student. Like it's always something else going on. And like, yeah, you just have to figure out what it is into that, that student to make them love it. It's like the same thing with my mom. This is a bad analogy, but my mom like does not read books or magazines or anything, but I'm always like, but you're just reading the wrong book. And so then we find her one that she loves and then she like devours it. And then I'm like, see, it was just what you were doing. We have to find something I, else. I think that's a perfect analogy. So okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and we are going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will continue chatting with assistant professor Jacob Curl. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. And we are back. Today we are going to be discussing creating music in a virtual world. Now, even though Mr. Carl works at a higher institution, um, shout out to SUNY Cortland, I believe that there are some things he has done that could be completely applicable anywhere, especially in our current environment, whether you are in a hybrid schedule, a complete remote schedule, or in person, but like everyone, always on the threat of a shutdown. So just to start start off, what was the educational plan at your institution when the year began? Yes, so we were obviously in person till March 13th. And then we had to go completely remote for the remainder of our spring semester. So when the fall semester was starting, we kind of knew what was the possibility. The school did wait a pretty long time to let us know. It was like maybe three or four weeks before the semester started that they solidified their plans. And that's because we had like pool testing going on and they they had to work with a hospital based out of Syracuse. Um, so the plan was to start in person. Um, we were only allowed to have specific class sizes based on the room size. Um, luckily, our incoming freshman class, who I tend to teach the most, was only nine students this year because of COVID. And so my classroom sizes always fit fine for them. But I teach a history course that had 19 students in it, but my classroom could only fit seven with six feet around them. So I had to split that class into two and then that didn't work. So I had to like find a larger room, which I ultimately did. So we were, okay, so back to the question. We were supposed to start in person and we were supposed to always wear a mask. 
except if we were in our office by ourselves. Um, no performances of any kind, no gatherings of any kind other than class. So the season that we had decided had to be postponed. We had planned on doing um, a play and a musical this fall that we we knew pretty early we had to cancel, um, which was a shame because all of our performance opportunities for our students had to be canceled and we're per- musical theater performance majors. So that was tough. Um, we had to be part of pool testing weekly, but that uh, maybe worked for the students, but not for the faculty because I only ever did it one time. And the gym was open for maybe a week before that got closed. Uh, and then by like October 3rd, our cases hit the 100 case limit for New York State. And so we had to go remote. And the decision was to was made to stay remote for the rest of the semester. So but so at least we got four weeks in person, which was awesome. Yeah. Those were great four weeks. Yes, let's let's celebrate that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of celebrating to go on, but we can celebrate four weeks that we got to meet students face to face, be with them in person before right. having to go to a screen. Right. And like the only thing that was like sad about it was that by that like third week we all kind of figured out how to adapt to the new normal. And then we had to create another new normal again after that. So I'm really hopeful. Yeah, I think I lost track on what number new normal that we're on. Right, right. And I'm trying to always label it new normal because I just know that when this thing changes and like we can come back to some sense of normalcy, it's going to not be the same as before. And I don't want to say back to normal because there's things that we were doing before that may have been unsanitary. So we need to, you know, change that. Yes. Yeah. We definitely can learn from some of this and and carry some of these new routines on. Uh, Like you said, when we get back to whatever new routine that we develop. I like what you said. We won't call it normal. Right. So when you had to go virtual, what type of steps did you have to take to overcome those obstacles because um right. you know i i know that there are many obstacles for any educator but especially i feel for mu- music and the arts um there's even more because it's a collaborative art so right. how what obstacles did you have to overcome and how did you do that yeah so when we first started going remote when the pandemic shut down schools, uh, the school was pretty lenient with us right away, figuring out how to adapt our courses. They didn't like make us choose a platform right away. So the school has a license with WebEx, but we were allowed to use Zoom or Google Meet if we wanted to. Um, and then we were a lot, we were pretty lenient with like grades um, because people's situations back home weren't always fabulous. Um, we had a lot of students who did get sick or their families got sick. Um, so right away, I, cho- I chose Zoom because it seemed to work the best for me. Um, and Zoom also let me plug in my keyboard and use Logic in order to play my piano through Zoom. And so that was really helpful for me. And then also my students all seemed to know what Zoom was before I did. Um, and WebEx was like a new thing that no one really understood how to use. And there was like commercials for Zoom. And I was like, wow, I should have got stock in Zoom before this thing happened. That's but, what I've thought every uh, single day since yeah. March 13th. <laughs> like the amount of hours we spend on Zoom now. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like I'm glad I pay for it now too. And like, it, it, it's, it's totally, it totally works. But I had to 
I also, so on top of my courses, because I teach a musical theater uh, theory class. It's like music theory for musical theater majors. And then I teach a musical theater history course. And there's two sections for each, depending on what semester we're in. But on top of that, I also vocal coach the students. And they would bring in a song they want to work on. We'd either work on it musically or acting-wise or a combination. And so in order (laughs) to continue doing that... I had to figure out the whole keyboard situation. We quickly realized that I couldn't play simultaneously with them singing because of the lag, which didn't take me very long to overcome, but a lot of my professors, like the actual voice teachers, really, you know, scream about that still. Um, So it was a lot of like, oh, you have to play the piano track on your end as opposed to me playing with you, which does remove what you said, a little bit of the collaboration that we would do together. Um, my classes luckily did transition pretty well. My theory class, because of Zoom, I could like share my iPad screen with like my staff and I could write my music on it. And then sometimes we'd use the whiteboard feature and so my students could write collaboratively. We could use Jamboard through Google, um, which I love Jamboard and I love Google Classroom as well. And my history course, I use a lot of, uh, Prezi which was like really hot in like 2010 and I don't think anyone really uses it now but I love it because it's like PowerPoint but interactive and feels like a movie and Zoom has a really cool feature with Prezi where your presentation becomes like translucent and it's like around you and so you feel like a newscaster yeah like you can go to your first slide and like appears to your right and like you can point to things on your presentation and it's my students loved that And so, like, if I was presenting about a specific musical, I could, like, put all the stats next to me, and then there could be a video, which would go full screen, and then back to... It was so cool. My students, like, really loved that. The... the, One of the biggest obstacles was, like, my assignments, because, like, theory, like, they needed to sing. I needed to give them sight singing for rhythm and notes, and, like, I need... And, like, they only get one year of this course. And sight singing... Sight singing, rather, changes a little bit when you get it ahead of time. Yes. <laughs> it kind of takes yeah. away the purpose. <laughs> right. And so, like, I, I could put it on the screen, but, like, the way I like to teach sight singing is where we all sing it together because some people are stronger at rhythm and some people are stronger at the melodic. And they need each other, but they can't sing together on Zoom. And so you kind of have to give it to them ahead of time, but that does defeat <laughs> the purpose. <laughs> So that was that was new. Um, so what I started doing was playing a melody on my keyboard and then having them sing it back to me. And then they would have to try and figure out how to write that out. And then someone who I would like split them into two, two groups and the other group would then receive that and listen to it and then do it. And it became like a new collaboration, I guess, like they were writing their own music. So that was... That's a really cool idea. I mean, it's not it's not as... Uh, it didn't accomplish all of the goals I wanted to do with them, but it accomplished more than none. And at least I got that experience. Um, but like usually their final is to come into my office. They pull an example out of a hat. They have to sing that. And we obviously couldn't do that. So I had to just kind of adapt. Um, my history course, usually the one that happened during COVID, they are assigned shows that they have to then as a group present the whole thing in 15 minutes. 
So they have to like learn it and they have to either rewrite it and then they can do whatever they want to it. So they could like gender bend it. They can update it to a different time. They could, uh, whatever they want to do. And usually they come into class and they present it in front of us, but they couldn't like perform for us on Zoom. So I turned to video projects and they all presented these really awesome 15 minute uh, mini musicals of like Oklahoma and My Fair Lady and what Bonnie and Clyde. Um, some people did SpongeBob musical. Like they just did like the coolest things. And because of that, that's why I started doing those virtual chorus things for my theory students. So, so then they- we're, we're going to dive into that okay. in, in a little bit, but I'm going to stop you just for a second because um, write it down. Um, you need to do continue to do that history course as a virtual option so that I can enroll and take it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, that's one of the courses that like lends itself so well to zoom because it feels like we're still in the classroom together and like making those videos together seem to be really fun for them and yeah. like everyone everyone learned how to video edit during this pandemic everyone has learned how to like be so savvy with like garage band and iMovie and everything like they know mm-hmm. so much more than me and i think i'm pretty good at computers but like these students know everything now they know everything no i i got shown up today by a second grader and i'm the tech integrator for my building so <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> Right. What I think I know and what's out there, I am really, I mean, if I didn't know before, it's been confirmed that I, there's so much that I need to learn. Right. And it's so easy for them. Like, I feel so old when I talk about it because, like, my parents had a hard time transitioning to computers, but, like, and we grew up with computers, but mm-hmm. they, like, just know it instantly, and I'm so mad about it. I'm so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, it sounds like you did such a good job at adapting to the changes. I think that's one of the most difficult things for educators right now is just that ever-changing environment and knowing that you might make a change and then you might have to make another change and another change and then you think you found a tool that works and then it doesn't work in the way that you need it to. So then you just have to continue to adapt and it sounds like you've done that um, in a way that is continued engaging your students which is the most important yeah and I think that like my my department we all seem to agree that like it was okay for all of us to make mistakes especially right now and like I was I was bummed where we we started in person in September and by October we were online because we were told it was only two weeks we're going to be back and I'm actually really glad we didn't go back because some of like the high schools in the area will like go remote for a week and then go back into person the remote for a week and i'm like ah oh, those poor teachers have to literally change their lesson plans weekly mm-hmm. and yet we only had to adapt really one time and everything that i adapted to this semester was because of the initial time we were online in the spring and so it, it just seemed a little easier to know what really works and what doesn't work. And then YouTube, of course, is a great resource. And like, there's tons and tons of teachers that are like, oh, I learned this awesome thing in Google Classroom today. You should try it. I just discovered it. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to do that somehow for music theory. And then it right, works. Right. Like, yeah, I feel like everyone's being very, very innovative right now. And you can find things that work for you that your students are going to love at any age. Especially yeah, college, so- students. college students love little kid things. So like if you treat them, like if you teach them like they're a fifth grader, they're like, oh my God, yes, let's play that game. Let's let's have a classroom. Let's do these things. They love it. 
Absolutely, because it's so engaging. But I really think that, um, you know, it'll be very easy in the future, I think, to look back and, and say, you know, 2020, the, the year of the pandemic. But right. wouldn't it be great if instead we looked back and said 2020, the year of innovation? Well, yes, yes. And like, especially for older teachers that like all of a sudden, like, you know, in their 60s had to learn how to use Google Classroom, but now are like fabulous teachers online. Like they've learned so many skills that maybe they thought they couldn't, you know, really adapt to that they thought that wasn't for them. But I'm like, now we're all such stronger teachers because of this thing, because we had to keep going. And the I love that. businesses that had to keep going somehow. Like kids had right. to go to school. Right. I absolutely love how you describe that. So what is one thing that has surprised you? You know, if you had to think about all the different things that you have overcome and that you've adapted and for student staff under the whole umbrella, what's just one thing that surprised you in teaching in a different way? Uh, something that surprised me would definitely that uh, what I thought may have been the best way to do something while I was in person actually got a better result when I adapted it to being remote. Um, and that was like my history class. I feel like I got much better results for my students and way more engagement when we started doing on Zoom. And I don't really know what the difference was. Maybe everyone just felt like they had a larger voice online versus uh, in the classroom because it's easy to hide behind your desk. Um, I do require everyone in my classes to have their cameras on at all times. Like they can't hide that way. Um, so that helps. But I think that I've learned that like when we are back into a normal classroom, a new normal classroom, that lets me um, <laughs> see my students' faces in person, that I can take some of the things I learned remotely to make a more engaging class in person. Um, I also feel maybe, I'm noticing it now because I can see myself on here, that I'm much more animated online than I am in person. Um, and maybe that's really helping. Like my gestures feel very large here because <laughs> I have to like reach through miles and miles and miles of internet space to reach my students. Like I don't even know where you are anymore, but like we're not like within an hour's drive of each other anymore like we used to be. No. So, like, and and I am still in our hometown. Oh my god, um, I, I love that. <laughs> I I I went away and I came right back. <laughs> I love that. So like we're a few hours away from each other. Miles and miles between us. Yeah, like we're at least three and a half to four hours away from each other, and so I just feel like I naturally want to be larger of my presence when we're online with each other. So that's taught me to be more engaging when I'm in person as well because my students are really responding to that. Also, it is theater, so like larger presence really works for that. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, that's a great point. Uh, that's one of the things with my high schoolers I'm always trying to, and it, they, nev they drive me insane. They like to push me to the edge, I swear. Always. They don't start <laughs> using, and it reminds me of us, to be honest. Of course, of course. <laughs> Not learning the lines until the week before the show. Yeah. Um, not doing the grand gestures until tech week. And I'm like, so it, I've spent, you know, eight weeks yelling at them to do these things. And all of a sudden they pull it out of a hat. I'm like, oh, always. you guys are going to put me in the early grave. Always, <laughs> always, always. <laughs> Whatever. So that that's fantastic. So I want to really talk about um, the thing that drew my attention the most. And I don't know if it's the thing that you're the most proud of. But it certainly is what you put out on social media. 
and yeah. it was a project that you did with your with your students. Can you talk a little bit about that? And it's what yeah. we started talking about a little bit before, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and this became quite popular with theater people, music people during this pandemic was the virtual chorus. Um, I think we were seeing a little bit of it before the pandemic, but like everyone kind of learned how to do it during this. And um, I know some people don't love them, um, but it was like the best thing for my music, my my theory students, because they felt like they were doing like mini productions and they would like get dressed up and everything. They just, lo- they loved it. I think they loved it. It was stressful, but they, they did. So like what we would do is that in my theory class, we did maybe like six or seven last spring. And then this fall, we did just the one that you saw, which was the White Winter Hymnal. Um, which was their final. And what I would do is that I would make them some vocal tracks um, with their part, give them the sheet music and like the accompaniment track. And I'd just say, go, this is your video to me is due by whatever date. And they had to work in their groups, figure out who was singing what part, what was the video going to look like. They had to send me a document with how they wanted me to edit it so that I didn't have to worry about that because it takes so long. Smart. Um, they needed to tell me what, like, how they work together on their lighting, on their sound equipment. Did they have a tripod? Great. If they don't, did you use a chair and books? Like, what did you use? Um, what camera settings did you use? Did you all talk about that? What was your background? Like, the whole production of it, they had to work together. And then they would send me their materials, and then I would put it together. And I was saying how I learned GarageBand at the time. Now I use Logic. Um, and I was using iMovie, and now I use Final Cut. Because I learned that, like, I needed to put... There was one video I did with um, all of my my students last year that had 25 people in it. And so I needed to fit 25 separate videos into this thing somehow. But somehow it turned out, like, all these students, they loved these projects. And the one I'm most um, proud of is the White Winter Hymnal because that one was their final. And this time I made them assign a director, a music director, a choreographer, a costume designer, a lighting designer, a sound designer, a stage manager to gather all the videos. Um, and they all had two weeks to figure this thing out. And their work came out so well. I was so surprised. And they sent me like a four page document and how they wanted it edited. So, like, all of the things that you see, like, three videos show up, and then there's, like, a black screen, and then three more show up in a black screen. That was all their idea. And, like, the order they wanted it to be in was based on the choreography that they figured out from the Pentatonix video. Like, they did so much work, and they had to because it was their final. But it also just turned out so well, and they felt, as they told me, that they got to do a show this semester because of that video. And, like, they they wouldn't have gotten that experience otherwise. They would have spent a whole semester without ever getting to utilize anything they learned this semester. So right. I'm, yeah, I'm really, really proud of those videos. I know that the internet is like saturated with them right now, but I want to share mine anyway. So I, Well, and I think you should because every student um, deserves to be able to share their voice in whatever capacity we can, especially mm-hmm. right now and especially within the arts. So I'm so happy that you shared it. And, you know, being that Portland is far away from where I am right now, I would never in a normal world be able to see their performance if they were to do it in person. So having the opportunity to see what they've done uh, really was just brought me so much joy. And 
my for my listeners, my daughter is seven months old, but she's already a lover of music. So all the singing <laughs> to my belly, I think, worked. Um, yes. But I, you know, I played it, and she just lit up, and she she loved it. And pentatonics was like our go-to for Christmas, and I. Yeah. I'm super biased, but I think in as every mother does that she's gifted. And so right. I think she <laughs> I think she's like, yeah, they're rocking it, mom. You're like, I am. I know. I'm good. <laughs> yes, yeah. And so I just I I just want to thank you for advocating for your students in the way that you did to allow them a way to showcase their work in a time that um, really has been a struggle for people because if it brought us that much joy watching it, I know how much joy it brought them to make it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So to finish out our episode, um, I like to, because I cannot believe, but it's already that time. (laughs) I think we could talk all day. (laughs) Every person involved with education in whatever capacity they're in has a teaching moment that sticks with them, whether it's humorous, impactful, sentimental, whatever. Can you share one of those teaching moments that will stick with you for life? Sure. I have I have one as a student, and then I have one as a teacher. Um, the student one was my senior year, uh, my junior year of high school, and I was at the piano with my chorus teacher, Miss Jenkins, at the time was her name. And she, I was like playing piano because I was playing piano then as well. And she asked me like what I wanted to do with my life. And I was like, I think I wanted to go into something with like computers. I like computers a lot. And I like video games and like tech. I love tech. And my mom works with, um, with tech at a hospital. So I was like, oh, like my mom does it. So I, I love it. And she... I remember, like, she turned to me and, like, was so confused about that answer. And I, you know, of course, got a little defensive, was like, you don't know me. But she was like, could you really see yourself going to work every day and not doing anything with music? And I, of course, the moment I was like, yeah, of course. Like, what do you, you don't know anything. But I went home and I remember, I'm a big journaler, and I remember writing about that moment. And I was like, she's so right. She was so right. And like literally from that moment on, my whole like college trajectory changed toward, do I want to do musical theater? Do I want to do music ed? Do I want to do vocal performance? Like what with music? Where? How much? How far away? Like it was all from that moment on was just music. Um, so that was, that was the moment um, that I remember. Have you- so clear. Does she know that that was your moment? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't talked to her in a few years. I we kept in touch because she after my junior year she moved to like Kentucky or Tennessee, and I did see her a few times and we kept in touch throughout my undergrad. But I haven't really caught up with her since. And I think she's still teaching chorus. I should check in. I should tell her that story because I know that as a teacher, if my students told me that, that would probably change a lot of things for me. So uh, you should. Right. I should tell her. <laughs> I should. As a as a teacher, um, I think my favorite moment so far was that we were doing at SUNY Cortland. We were doing nine to five, and I had a um, a student. Her name is Caroline. Who, like, for a whole semester before the audition, was like, "I want to be cast as Judy," which was the Jane Fonda role in the movie, or Stephanie J. Block on Broadway, and. 
she was like, I want that part, but like, I don't think I have the vocal for it yet, but I'm going to work all semester for it. And I was like, if you're game for it, I'm game for it. Let's work for it. And so we would meet weekly coaching, getting her ready for that. And I, I do teach voice lessons as well, but I never felt as confident as a voice teacher as I am as a vocal coach or a music director. But something with Caroline, like, was easier for me because I think maybe because she was so driven with it that made me want to be driven with her. And I remember her audition was like, like, it's like, it's amazing seeing your students doing something that like you didn't really know they could do yet. And then they like walk out there and whatever, whatever that task is, they like go beyond the line. Like the line's a hundred percent, but they're like at 107, 110. And you're like, what the whoa 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 and like I remember her audition was amazing and I probably cried because I cry all the time and then her callback was somehow better and like all the faculty were like how wow wow Caroline 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 and I was like Caroline that was like that was us we were a team and she was very very grateful as well like on closing night she like really reached out was like this was because of us and I was like so Those she moments. did get it, the part then. She did the, yes, she got the part. She did the show. She did tell me. So now I know I need to tell my teacher. <laughs> but yeah, that I think about that moment all the time because also that moment really reinforced, it was my first year teaching at this college, that I wanted to continue teaching college and knew, like understood and believed that I could continue doing it and get better doing it each year because of that. I love that. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me today in the episode. You know, it's your evening. It's nearing dinner time. And I just appreciate it so much. And I've loved being able to reconnect with you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And I enjoyed, you know, hearing from you about creating music in a virtual world. I think a lot of um, music teachers could learn a lot from this conversation or be inspired um, as I am. So for my listeners, Please, if you would like to connect with Jacob Carl, his email will be in the show notes. So please check that out. Definitely reach out to him um, to find out what you can do. Uh, You can soak up his genius, whether he knew he had it or not. (laughs) And again, we would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So head on over to Twitter and give us a shout and a follow at ChalkEDU. like to give a little book highlight from something that I have been reading. Right now, I'm continuing to go through the distance learning playbook, and chapter one reinforced some great ideas regarding self-care and ensuring that we are all taking care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. What stood out the most to me is the chapter talked about a self-care partner and actually gave you this really neat page to plan it out. Someone you can lean on, who can lean on you, and someone who you can just check in with each other to socialize, make sure you're okay, and make sure you're filling up your own cup so that you can serve others. While not everyone might be comfortable with a self-care partner, I would encourage all my listeners to evaluate yourself and how you are doing mentally and emotionally. I had a great conversation with a colleague today, and he described it perfectly by saying, it doesn't matter what profession you are in, it has changed. 
everyone seems to be on somewhat of a tipping point. Stressors are high. Frustration is high. Any sort of change or even conversation about change, even if it's brainstorming how we can make things better, seems to cause even more stress. But another commonality is that we are all hard workers. I truly believe that. Everyone wants to keep that bar high. And sometimes that means we add things to our plate that aren't necessary. Do you have something on your plate that you could take away? I'm not saying you won't miss it or that you will never put it back on. But for right now, while we are still crisis teaching, knowing that there could be force changes tomorrow, could you take something off your plate so that you could more easily re-energize yourself, refill up your own cup so that you can fill up someone else's? If you found that interesting and want to dive in yourself, I would encourage you to go check out the Distance Learning Playbook and share with the podcast at ChalkEDU what stood out to you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Behind the Chalk. Want to hear more? Subscribe and review the podcast wherever you like to listen and follow on Twitter at ChalkEDU. And remember, education is not the filling of a pot, but the lighting of a fire.